Welcome back to the podcast. It's episode four. I am your host, Rio de Janeiro. And I am your host, Killer Keemstar. And it's I Like This Thing, a podcast where we talk about things we like. My topic this week is an album very close to my heart. You should probably get it out of your body then. <laughs> an album called Mouth Moods by Neil Ciciariga. On your topic, Monsieur Keemstar. On a similar vein, Rio de Janeiro, it is Chopin's first ballad. Oh, equal masterpiece I. All right, my joke. Oh, good. We've gone straight into that. I love the segue that you provided there. <laughs> my joke for the week. Uh, there are two cows standing in a field. <laughs> the first cow goes... Mm, yeah, strong stuff. And the second cow goes... <laughs> They're two cows. <laughs> that's, that's the joke. <laughs> Subtle inversion there. Love, love to see it. Uh, Thank you. Came up with that one myself, can you tell? The joke normally seems to go, the first cow goes, and the second cow says something like, I was going to say that. Yeah, except they're both cows. You subverted the joke by just having two cows speak to each other. (laughs) Yeah, good. Good. I'm glad glad that this is the level we've already reached on episode four. Without further ado, I'm going to get right on with my topic. I am talking about an artist of every kind, an extraordinary creator, a genius, a man beyond myth. When you say artist of every kind, do you mean like in the Wagnerian sense of Kampfkunstwerk, of the idea of an artist in every single medium of art? Sure. I All I know is that his Kampfkunst really work. The Kampfkunstwerk. That's the one. <laughs> anyway... Neil Ciciariga made the Potter Puppet Pals way, way back when, many centuries ago. Not long after the Bible began. Not long after the Bible began, yeah. He also makes music and absurd mashup albums, which I adore. I adore them. I cannot tell you how much I love these albums. So the first one is called Mouth Sounds and shook the world in the year of our lord 2014 it shook the world as a strong form it 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 shook the internet circles within which you reside it did not shake the world Ah, it shook the world in the way that if you step outside with a little bit more force than normal you shake the world but not very much but it does happen (laughs) it's a meme album he he basically mashes up smash mouth's all-star with a, a variety of other things there's a moment on Mouth Sounds where he mashes up the Black Eyed Peas song I'm a Bee with the Beatles' Let It Be into a monstrosity. Doesn't, isn't the first track him doing Masortsky's pictures at an exhibition? Yes, Satellite Pictures at an exhibition. Oh, it's so good. Um, and the uh, the final track of that album. He, uh, so his, his album closers are notorious bangers. The final track of the first one is called Smooth Flow and it's the Santana song... Oh, that's that's legitimately a really good mix. That's so good. The Santana song "Smooth" with that Enya song "Sail Away," it's so good. Um, and like, is an unironic bop. Mm, unironic, maybe not. Maybe a very ironic bop. A post-ironic bop, if you will. Isn't it Orinoco Flow? That's the one. Yes, I just forgot the name momentarily because I was overexcited. I've had quite a lot of Coca-Cola this afternoon. The second album, everyone, you know, this 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 album, Mouth Sounds, becomes a bit of a cult classic. He releases it for free because he's the world's greatest. It's chaos. It's an hour-long runtime. 
and I remember vividly the first time I ever listened to it. I remember sitting in bed with my laptop on my lap, listening to it the whole way through and like crying with laughter. And I only discovered it when the second one came out. So I kind of caught up on all of the, the how can he ever follow this up discourse like artificially. But Mouth Silence is the second and it is also superb. It's it's a little bit less focused on Shrek memes. So the uh, Smash Mouth's All-Star appears a little less. There are some moments here I can't even tell you how genius. One of my favourite tracks on Mouth Silence is called Space Monkey Mafia, which I maintain is a superb band name. And it is We Didn't Start the Fire overlaid with R.E.M.'s It's the End of the World and We Know It, both of which are songs with kind of rapid listing off all the chaos of like international culture stuff that's going on in their verses. And he like layers those on top of each other. So it's just complete overwhelm. Oh, it's so good. And again, the album closer is a banger lots of memes about wonderwall going on here do you want to explain like the origin of those memes or do you want to sort of blast on through that <laughs> so i'm blasting on through it because i i only really want to talk about mouth moods which is my favorite but you're one. giving more of a historical context i get that yeah yeah so he released a fourth one called mouth dreams last year which lord bless him the world needed and it includes you know tracks like sponge rock which is we will rock you, but actually the SpongeBob theme. I can't describe to you what it, what a religious experience it is listening to this nonsense. But Mouth Moods came out in 2017. I think it might be close to the most excited I've ever been about an album release. <laughs> I think it probably is. I, th- I think it legitimately is. Not quite. Like, I get properly stoked about, like, 21 Pilots album releases. But Neil Ceciariga doesn't exactly, like give you a six month build up with like teasers he like will tweet three days before and be like oh by the way new mouth album and i will lose my actual mind it's difficult to articulate this genre it's kind of like it taps into the nostalgia of all the tracks that you loved when you were younger or kind of grew up with just sort of floating around but he he does these mashups which which cut and chop the lyrics so that they become ridiculous and puts together oh on mouth moods he puts together in the third track which is called acvc it's the vocals to back in black by acdc over vanessa carlton's whatever that song's called and it, like it's absurd you just get this stripped back like acdc gremlin-y vocals yelling back in black over the top of that cutesy piano and like my favorite <laughs> my favorite track is called annoyed grunt which is number seven it has so many like layers of like memes and audio references and everything like built into it like, I have genuinely listened to this album from beginning to end more than most albums in my life. And I'm quite an album person. I like a good album. Isn't your iTunes, like, one of the most... It's definitely at least one of the most curated... <laughs> I'm a bit I'm a bit obsessive. I'm a bit obsessive about my iTunes. It is true. On my iTunes, there is over 200 gigabytes of music. And that is 1,958 albums, apparently. The the song you were mentioning earlier was A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. 
that's the one. I've never actually bothered with <laughs> the originals. I don't know what it's called. I, I was gonna, I was gonna say just, just a little point here for the less uh, like internet aware generation listening. Mm. It's, it's kind of like a extreme form of sampling. Mm, that's a nice way to put it. Actually, like the music, the music isn't. In and of itself, apart from very rare, rare examples, like the first track on his fourth album is, is like he kind of writes his own music with sampling, but the majority of the time it's using the songs themselves to make the same song, but with like an additive sense. Yeah, to make us like a satirical version of the song almost. Yeah, so Bustin appears on this, which is his rework, <laughs> rework of the Ghostbusters theme. That it's was such a, such a good song. That's such a it's, good song. It's an excellent <laughs> piece of work. But there are also there are moments on here that aren't quite like he doesn't just layer in music. He also layers in like cuts from old news broadcasts or like famous internet videos. Yeah. So so specifically, there's a song called "Best," right? Yes. Um, <laughs> which tries to find every single available way that someone has said "best" in sort of history yes. of the internet. Yeah, uh, any even media. Even going to the point of using, was it the Folgers coffee advert? Yes! The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Then you've got Whitney Houston on top of that. And then you've got, you're the best. You've got One Direction what? singing. Yeah. And you've got the Pokemon theme song. Like, it's it's got so much. Oh, on Mouth Silence. I'm so, I get so stoked about these albums. I can I love tell them. you, you're so excited. <laughs> <laughs> there is a track called Pokemon, which is... Oh, I think it's Hanson's Mbop. So like, you know, early 2000s banger. Oh yeah, that's the backing track. And then it's just it's just hundreds of different like families and members responding to Pokemon. So many different like news broadcasts or recordings of people talking about Pokemon when it was first a big thing. And they're all saying things like, you know, what is this new phenomenon from Japan? And like, it just devolves into crazier and crazier hot takes about Pokemon until like at the end, it's like, these are the creatures of the devil. The children of today are walking around with demons in their pockets kind of thing. But like, you've got Hanson in the background going, and I cannot articulate how surreal and absurd a thing it is, but how beautiful it is too. This is one of the, I have a, I have a very vivid memory when I was about 19, I think. So it was like a year or so after Mouth Science came out when I first discovered them. So the, the first two had been out at this point. Very vivid memory of sitting in like someone's living room, at kind of like a party or just like a group of us like hanging out in the evening. Um, and I had just discovered this and I could not shut up about these albums. And I was trying to explain. I bet you were an absolute fan at parties. So, <laughs> so everyone loved me. I was I was doing such a bad job, but I was getting so overexcited about trying to explain why I loved this. That basically the whole room, which was like maybe 15 people, ended up just like sitting, like watching me. And I had to play them. Uh, one of the tracks from Mouth Silence, which is a reworking of Wonderwall so that all the words are in like the wrong it, was order. Was it Wonderwall or... without the vowels in it? Yeah, it's Wonderwall. And I, I played them the song and I will never forget sitting there desperately trying to stop cackling with laughter because I was so aware that everybody else in the room was just looking at me like, is she okay? <laughs> and it was one of those moments where I was like, this to me has a, like a nascent and inherent appeal a nascent appeal <laughs> I yeah that might not be the right word but it has it has something in it which to me is obviously high quality 
deeply valuable i think it's a hysterical commentary on like pop culture and it's a it's a fabulously entertaining way to participate in the kind of rigmarole of popular music almost um like there's a track on mouth moves called standby meme which is bare naked ladies one week that it's been one week since you looked at me but like over the backing of the song stand by me <laughs> and like for, for those of you for those of you listening on spotify you will not be able to find it uh, on spotify because it's so copyrighted everywhere that it's yeah not allowed. i think it's all up on youtube i remember he was having some problems because there's a track on on mouth moods the third one which is my favorite called dear dinosaur which is the oh it's, it's i think it's from like a kid's show or something in the 90s uh like a theme song about a dinosaur, but it's over the Beatles' Dear Prudence. And obviously Beatles, like, gets copyrights struck faster than you can say John Lennon is alive and living in Cuba. Which you can always say very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> John Lennon is alive and living in Cuba! He's not. I have, I have, a, I have a question for Go you. Go for it, yeah. Whenever we talk about, like, art, which is not actually that uncommon for both of us, you often refer to the nature of art being something which was always going to exist. Hmm. Would you say that is the case <laughs> with <laughs> Neosuceriga's mouth? Actually, let me explain. Let me, let me explain that first. Like the, the idea that the, the art, like it had to be accessed. It wasn't not available in the first place. Is that is that what you, what you mean by that? So I I have a slightly yes. What what my dear colleague Keemstar is referring to is that I have a slightly unorthodox belief, which I do stand by and has gotten me into some slightly hot water in the last term of my degree because it made writing a certain essay very difficult and blah blah blah, that actually really major pieces of art sort of objectively exist and the artist is more of a conduit than a creator, like genuine moments of inspiration are beyond... The artist is a medium, right? They exist between they exist between the art and, and the, the actual world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I fully think that <laughs> I fully think that Neil Ciceriga is a universal truth. He was oh, no. he was oh, never no. he was never not gonna happen to the universe. It didn't necessarily have to look this particular way. It is a truth universally I, I acknowledged. He is just truth universally acknowledged that a single meme in want of a loving home is going to be scooped up by Neil Ciceriga and embedded into one of his music mashup albums. I love, I love that Austin quote. <laughs> that was the early draft of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I'm going to bring my 15 minutes to a close by saying this is something that I feel so strongly about and I enjoy so extremely that I have just had to settle with the idea that Actually, if you don't listen to this and think it is the best thing since ping pong, then I'm not going to be able to convince you that it's worth your time or energy. Why would it be the best thing since ping pong? For you? Because the best thing since sliced bread is a tired phrase and I don't enjoy it because I don't think sliced bread is that revolutionary. So I thought, why not say ping pong? Yeah, not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> but yeah, this is one of those things where like, if any of you listening to this go and like look for it afterwards and you're just kind of scrolling through these videos and reading these comments and your your reaction is kind of right like that's fine this is not going to be something which is shared in by everybody but for those of you for whom this is going to make sense you will love it and i 
think it is truly the measure of a man or woman or neither. I think I think you're speaking to a very a very small demographic. I'm going to help you out here because you're clearly you're clearly <laughs> um, struggling. Guys, gals, non-binary pals. Thank you, Thomas if Sanders. You like uh, I, Neil I, Sh- I'm finishing. If you like Neil Cecilia's mouth, oh, I was going to say trilogy is now a quadrilogy. Tetrilogy. Te- that's the one. There's now four of them. If you like these albums, get in touch with me. I'm obsessed with them. I love them. They are amongst my favourite albums of all time, particularly the third one. I, I think there's a very small demographic on the internet who... Wait, hit me out here. There's... It's, 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 it's like a there's, a... there's a trinity... Not trinity. There's, there's two options. It's a binary option, right? It's either you have heard it or you haven't heard it. But the people who have heard it, you know, we, we, if we're speaking to them already, you know, they're not going to really mind about us talking about it, but... There's people who haven't heard it. There's only a very small select group of people who haven't heard it already who exist on the internet who will actually enjoy it. Yes, when they get I to think it. that's very true. <laughs> Either you already know and love these albums or you are not going to hear them and you're not going to love them and that's fine. Or you have already heard them and, and, and you didn't enjoy them and you will never yes. touch them again. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I might be trying to to preach to an unsympathetic audience in that like let me explain this thing to you that is probably not going to enhance your life in any way shape or form but we're not we're not doing this podcast to speak to an audience we're doing this podcast to speak about our own enjoyments so. and i like this thing there we go we got it in the end got it in the end boys <laughs> all right your turn my boy Yes, <clears throat> me being Keemstar, thank you, small town of Rio de Janeiro. Uh, yes. My talk today is on Chopin's first ballad, um, or ballad, if you are feeling so inclined. Or oh, ballad, if you're French. <laughs> thanks. I don't know if that's thanks true, that. please thanks, don't come thanks, for me. Thanks for coming in with that one. I think specifically to, to, to refer to this at the beginning, this is my favourite piece of classical music. Which is a big deal. Which is a big deal because I am a huge fan of classical music. I would say it's probably my favourite genre. Mine, for reference, is meme mashup albums. Thank you. Thank you. For, you just had your 15 minutes. You can, you can <laughs> stay on your corner, buddy. Cool. I'm uh, zipped. Um, and Chopin, I would say, is definitely one of my favourite, if not my favourite, composer. So this piece like, sort of existed as... I don't know. It, 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 when I found it, I, Chopin wasn't my favorite composer, but this piece has sort of convinced me that he is. If that makes any sense, like you ever find a piece of music from a band which you weren't a huge fan of before, and then you listen to it so much that that band becomes one of your staple bands or something. Oh, totally. Like Neil Cecilia Riga's. Yeah, track. yeah, yeah. I knew Word you were doing that. Dis- <laughs> with, with the tone that you provided there, yeah, I knew you were being sarcastic. <laughs> I'm too predictable. Yeah, well, that's why we're doing a podcast. A ballad. I don't know. I think it refers to the idea of. It's a solo piano work, which just came around in the Romantic era of classical music. Which was when? Uh, like the 1800s, late 1800s, okay. uh, like sort of late 19th century, maybe early 20th century, if we're talking about like Debussy and stuff, but that becomes more impressionistic at the time. It's often, they often refer to the idea, like Ballard often refers to the idea of like the sort of narrative style of music. Um, so there's actually, a, there's actually a sense of like a story behind the music, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. And this ballad is, is not any different from the others. This is very much, it's very much a narrative behind the piece of music. Like there isn't, it's not absolute music where absolute music is the idea of music which doesn't have any purpose or cause or narration behind it. It's just a piece of music that exists to be music. Right, much like, in fact, Neil. I Ciri. hate you so much. I hate you. I hate you so much. I'm gonna, I'm gonna scream. Um, <laughs> um, 
the first ballad uh, is his twenty third work, Opus twenty three. Um, he wrote it in eighteen thirty five, which means that he would have been twenty five years old. You and me both, buddy. It is roughly yeah, almost. It is roughly uh, ten minutes long, roughly. I would say. Um, if you want to stop this and listen to a listen to a recording of it first, I would recommend Christian Zimmerman's recording. Um, it is definitely the best recording out there. Well, Horowitz's is good too, but this is my favorite one. Yeah, I've I've often thought that you know Horowitz is up there. It doesn't quite cut it. Zimmerman's is just ooh, she pips the post. I know you're joking, but Zimmerman <laughs> Zimmerman is a remarkable pianist. I'm not going to get onto him. He's probably going to be something I talk about many months later, but. Um, he is a ridiculously good pianist. Anyway, Chopin's first ballad, I think I'm going to explain why I like it. There's a lot of different factors as to why, but there's um, I want to go through them. Um, first of all, to give a bit of context as to why it's my favourite piece of music, generally, I think romantic music is my favourite genre of classical music. Now, for those who are less educated on classical music, classical music is normally broken down into a few subsections or subgenres normally referring to early music which is like when the idea of polyphony in music started to multiple different tracks being played at the same time tracks is an odd way to refer to that but like different melodies playing at once rather than just sort of one single church line of music Mm, yeah that's so that's like 11th century to like 16th century really and then we have baroque music uh which is like bach um handel Vivaldi, those kind of people in the 17th century kind of yeah 18th century as well like mid 18th century and then mid 18th century we're going to classical music which is mozart you know haydn uh, early beethoven people like that and then we get to romantic music which is like late not really not even late 18th century like early 19th century so normally the, the birth of romantic music is seen as beethoven's third symphony the eroica nice a slapperoonie, if which ever is a, I did absolute, hear one. Absolute huge banger, that one. Uh, Stone Cold Festival banger. Uh, Beethoven's actually normally seen as the bridge between classical and romantic, but I'm not really here to speak about the history of classical music, so I'm going to move on from this. Um, romantic music is my favourite genre mostly because it is expressive, like so much more so than any other genre that I've found. Um, I am to give a bit of context about myself i am a huge like huge romantic kind of person not even in the sense of like a, a musical sense but <laughs> just generally um, <laughs> just a big old sop. just a big old i'm a hopeless romantic i would say like to 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 put it bluntly and this music not even specifically in that sense but this music in the romantic era really 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 speaks to me i'm a pianist at, at heart that's my that's my first instrument that i would say that i play i also play the cello and drums but that's not Again, this isn't time for me to talk about my instruments. So obviously I'm going to find piano music a bit more moving because it, it's something which I myself am able to try and perform and play. There's very much a sense that I'm allowed, I, I enjoy other music, you know, I enjoy pieces of music which I which I cannot even aspire to play, but there's, it's like being able, it's like when I, when I was talking about the difference between the Star Wars prequels and The Last of Us 2, like the difference between being able to actually access them and be able to be the person behind them like being able to play the game rather than being able to watch the movie it's like that being able to play the piece of music rather than being able to listen to the piece of music sure that makes any sense does that make any sense at all yeah 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 so for more context about the romantic music just for a little little second here other composers that are my favorite schubert i really like schubert he's got a beautiful melodic sense uh he's written over 600 leaders which are over 600 songs wow so he's very good at writing melodies as you'd imagine 
Um, and then like big big symphonic works. I'm a huge fan of symphonic works. So Beethoven's Ninth is I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, Schubert's Eighth Symphony. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. I really like Mendelssohn's um, Overtures, especially is, is it Hebrides? I think it's Hebrides. I'm a huge fan of Shostakovich's symphonies, Mahler's symphonies. Shostakovich Seven is a fan. I'm a fan of Mahler Eight. These are all recommendations for you to go listen to, by the way, <laughs> if you want nice. a little lectures worth of content for me to <laughs> me to provide. <laughs> but I think those things are massive, grandiose pieces of work. Whilst these kind of tiny little, like six to eight minute to ten minute works of these tiny little pieces of music, really, they have a very different place in my heart. Mm. They speak to me much more than those big works because they are these little delicate, like there's only two hands that you play with in this entire piece, but this it speaks volumes more sometimes than an entire symphony of like 20 different instruments playing at once. Yeah, to go on to this piece, it is a master stroke. I think it's, I think it's normally regarded to as one of his best works. Wow, but you're saying something for Mr. Chopin. Chopin is a, he's a pretty prolific composer. Um, one of the interesting things about Chopin is that he never actually wrote any music outside of piano music. Really? Which was very uncommon for the day because obviously you were encouraged to write all types of music. Yeah. The only time he ever did was in his two piano concertos, but even then they were still both focally towards the piano. Um, they still had orchestral scores, but obviously the main focus of it was the piano. Right. But everything else he wrote, his preludes, his waltzes, his nocturnes, his uh, ballads, even his etudes, they're all they're all just piano works. Etude, brute. <laughs> Thank you for that, that, that <laughs> insightful input there, uh, Rio. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to describe this work without going into like legitimate textual analysis of the actual music so i'm not i'm going to try and not do that hugely but i'm going to go into a little bit chopin isn't an easy composer to play i watched a video the other day of talking about like rating his music in a, in a difficulty scale oh wow and the the first piece on there is a piece which i then searched up is which is graded at grade seven <laughs> um, <laughs> um on which, a scale by the way of one to eight yeah on a scale of one to eight where eight is like the thing that's like the most sought after by by musicians well, not entirely. There's diplomas too, but that's not even worth going into. This piece, I'm currently studying for my diploma in piano, and I'm about a year off of that now. And this piece doesn't feature on the diploma list, and I asked why to my piano teacher, and he said it's because this piece is too hard for a diploma. <laughs> wow. So that's kind of that's kind of where we're at with this piece. One of the reasons for this is that it's coda, so the end selection of the piece, the last part of. I don't know how. How do you describe a coda, Kristen? Yeah, it's like it's like a post-credit scene, but for music. Yeah, it's a passage at the end, right? You know, it's a it's a yeah. Yeah. This coda is it's tempo marking, so the the, the speed at which it's played is presto con fuoco, uh, which is fast and with fire or fury. Starring Vin Diesel and Paul Walker. <laughs> which has this? I don't have to describe it other than being this this. It's almost ragtime kind of feel. Oh wow! Where the left hand, so ragtime is 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 the kind of jazz genre of the sort of big like clumpy left hand by doing the big chord at the bottom, then a sort of intricate chord in the in the like one two three four beats of the bar. So it goes one two three four with an emphasis on one and three, um, and it does that it does that in the left hand of this piece as well. But in the right hand, it's doing these massive arpeggiatic and scalic movements up and down the keyboard. Wow. And it's sprinting across the keyboard everywhere, and it's covering so many notes, um, and it's crashing up and down, and then it suddenly does this massive drop into this 
like what well, a drop is a strong word now using music but it differently to like dubstep drop it does this scalic run all the way up to the top of the keyboard and all the way down to the and then it sort of drops into this g and then it has these two different scales that run up the keyboard in g minor and then and then and then again in, in tenths in g minor for four octaves and if you listen to a recording, Zimmerman's recording, the one that I said earlier, he does them so precisely, and it is astonishing because that I've I've been practicing this piece for almost three years now to give some context, Crikey. and I am still struggling to do this coda. I've just about about a few months ago played this coda for the first time all the way through, and I've been trying to learn this coda for about three years. Three years. Well, I did I did go in far over my head, but I mean, good for you. Why not? Within the piece, there's this. There's this sort of motif, right? There's this one main theme that keeps coming back. It's this very solemn G minor theme, which has a little bit of chromaticism, which has this, I don't know, it has this very much, how do you refer to something which is solemn, but not quite like the sadness of sol- solemnity? Like poignant? Like it's kind of reflective and thoughtful, but yeah, not exactly. necessarily sad. Right. Exactly. And it was it was written to give some historical context during the time of, of, of one of the biggest Polish civil wars and, and and um, Chopin is Polish, so he was the like the country with which he resided in. Although he actually he was living in France at the time, his country was falling apart, and he was very much a strong nationalist in the regard that he supported his country strongly. So he was feeling like torn because he was viewing it from a, from afar, you know. This this music really conveys that. After those after the, well, the poignant sections of of this sort of G minor main motif, it goes into I think what I would refer to as his most beautiful lyrical major key section there's this gorgeous so at bar 68 to give very specific bar numbers i have the score (laughs) open in front of me because i I have i bought the score actually with you a few years ago and i have now have a score which is scribbled all over with with things from myself um bar 68 it goes into this uh f major slash b flat major section which is indicated by um sotto voce which is sort of like of the voice and it has this really gorgeous singing melody like this really lyrical melody and then these are the two these are the two main motifs that come back that um sort of poignant theme in g minor and this singing melody in b flat major and they keep coming back in different ways and they keep like battling and being varied and and forming until they both finally disappear into that massive crashing coda that i was talking about it is so i don't (laughs) i feel like i i I know how you were like unironically talking about Niels Siriga's mouth tetralogy or whatever you refer to it as yeah series but this piece does the same to me I mean full full credit where credit is due I feel like you might have a slightly more profound connection with, <laughs> with this piece of music than I do with Niels Siriga's mouth I think there's albums. definitely there's definitely a sense between between that of it being a beautiful piece which I have fallen in love with while sometimes it also being a piece of music that I am trying to play. I think there's a whole there's a whole scope which is not really referred to by musicians, but definitely should be about when like the connection you make to a piece of music when you struggle on it for months or even for this case for me years. I bet you really get to know it. Yeah. Like I can hear. I, I, I we're actually it was, it was again it was at home. We were watching a movie. Um, and like a single bar or two of this piece played, and I was like, "Oh, that's Chopin's first ballad." Heads <laughs> <laughs> um, earning yourself the reputation that you have today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think the I think to to round this bit off, I would definitely recommend to our to our listeners to go and listen to this piece of music. Mm, I'm definitely going to. 
I mean, I've heard it before, but I want to hear the recording you mentioned. You've also heard many, many times of me going, ah. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I've heard it before, but I have also heard, you know, ah, oh, this is the coda. This is still the coda. This will probably be the coda for an hour and a half. Yeah, that's definitely the hardest part. In, in the middle of it, there's this big, which is debated between being E major and A major. That, that's a really, really complicated part to play, but it sounds, it's this massive, these massive, gorgeous, uh, like majestic chords in the middle it's the returning of the um that b flat major theme by the way it's the same rhythm it's the same tempo but it's now got these filled in harmonic chords in the middle and they're all like, they're like across the top of the keyboard now rather than in the middle of the keyboard it's so effective that's sick yeah i think actually i might require you after this podcast to break the emotion for a second to sit with me and listen to it mm, oh i'd love that yeah and then we'll sit and listen to Lucy <laughs> Zuriga's uh, mouth sounds which you've heard before it's true <laughs> actually i was gonna say just to i'm gonna end this point off now i was to say, uh, I do actually remember the first time you made me listen to this, the, to the to the mouth sounds. Mm. I remember vividly on a, on a on a trip in Berlin, listening to the one with bees in it. Yes. We were walking bees. around like at night, and I just just listening, <laughs> like going look at these, look at these beautiful sights across like a, a, this river in Berlin, <laughs> listening to bees. I was like, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh my days. It stays with you, man. It, these, it really these does. These pieces of music. Both, both, just... <laughs> both of these pieces of music stay with you. And Love yeah, it. and I like this thing. Yeah! Thanks so much for listening to the pod. Thanks to Keemstar. I have been Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> and this has been beating the joke to death. <laughs> just such a dead horse. <laughs> just, act, <laughs> just, a, just on the floor. <laughs> What if we actually got a dead horse? No, that's called killing a joke. All right, uh, we will catch you next week. Catch you on the flip side. Goodbye. Bye. And that is the end of the podcast. If you liked it, let us know and maybe tell a friend. Until next week, have a good one. Bye.